So I went camping this weekend, and I met some, some uh, let's call them local entrepreneurs. Uh, I was sitting around the campfire with my wife at night. You know, it's dark, cozy, about to go to sleep. And this guy pulls up in a truck. He's this kind of like hippie looking guy. He pulls up in a truck and he says, is it okay if we park our truck here on your campsite? And the point, the spot he was looking at was like not really in my way. And I was like, eh, okay, whatever. He's like, yeah, we're going to. We're gonna dive for lobsters, and you know we'll be we'll be really quiet, and we'll just park here, and we'll be gone for a couple hours, and we'll come back. And I was like, okay, bro, like whatever you want. <laughs> sure, like if you're gonna get in the water in the pitch dark and look for lobsters, like that's up to you. Lobster so, diver. <laughs> that that probably so, gets you pretty far in a Tinder profile. <laughs> yeah. So he, they parked. Um, you know, whatever. We sat around. We had some s'mores. Went to the bathroom. With them brushed or our by teeth. yourselves. By ourselves. So okay, they, okay. I like didn't talk to them again after that. I was like, oh, whatever you want. Um, and I was said to my wife, I was like, we we gotta go see this because we're camping right by the beach. And I was like, I have to go see these guys. It's pitch dark, and it's like the water's not warm. It's cold. So. Sure enough, right. we walk out. We walk out to the beach, and there's two. You can just see two lights in the water, just like kind of swimming around, looking around. And I thought, like, man, how, like, how entrepreneurial that. First of all, the reason they had to ask us to can't to park on our campsite is because it's not legal to park in this campground unless you have a campsite. So, like, okay. for if if the ranger or whatever had come up and been like is this your car? I would have been like, no, I have no idea how that car got here. And like, they would have, damn, been. you would have done him dirty. You were, you're an yeah, asshole. I, I would, have, I would have taken no responsibility. Uh, but, but yeah, so if, you know, yeah, if you're ever, did he, did, did he come back with any lobsters? Did you see? I, I went to bed. I didn't see him, but I assume they caught something. Oh man, that sucks. You didn't even know. That'd be funny. If they just have hundreds of lobsters. That's a missed opportunity. Because uh, I feel like we're always talking about cool side hustles or things you can do on the show. And uh, Lobster Hunter would have been a pretty good one. I wonder if there is any decent money in that. I think there is. I think if you like, if all you got to do is put on a wetsuit, swim underwater for two hours in the middle of the night in the pitch dark, like hope that a shark doesn't bite you. You know, no big deal. Uh, if you pull up, I think lobsters are pretty valuable. Like imagine how much they... Yeah would go for like live fresh caught you know they used to they used to give lobsters to prisoners in new england like 300 years ago yeah and i think that they still should i think they're disgusting like it's a gigantic insect underwater they're so gross like why anyone wants to eat that i don't know the communist magazine is always trying to get people to eat insects yeah, that's, so that's, true. that's the future because it hits it hits all of their it hits all of their their points where it's sort of this neoliberal thing. They're easy to ship around, so it, it would work well in globalization. They provide protein for people. Economically, it makes sense. A normal human would be like, that's fucking disgusting. But if you have economist brain, you think, oh, that's a great idea. you know. And then it also, it also it interacts well with their global warming pieties, you know, because insects can have less carbon emissions than cattle. <laughs> I was That's listening. So true. They're you, always posting pictures of like of like scorpions on sticks and shit, and they're like, "See people in like 
Uruguay, eat these. You're like, no, why? <laughs> I did. I went when I went to Israel a couple years ago. We were, we were meeting different Israeli entrepreneurs. You know, on this trip we were on, and we met the, the uh, what was it? What is the uh, grasshoppers? I think it was roasted grasshoppers. That was his thing. And oh. the trick with roasted grasshoppers is, I mean, it's easy to make them. It's just what is the best way to um, grow as many of them as – like what is the most efficient way to grow as many of them as possible so it makes sense economically. And I had a couple of them that tastes – it was basically flavorless, you know, and it was just pure protein and apparently your body absorbs it and it's it's really healthy for you. But I don't know. I wouldn't have a huge desire to eat it. And someone asked her <laughs> – they asked the guy – who is your who is the target here who do you have big contracts with and he and he said you know we have some various stores or whatever but the real hope is prisons and soldiers (laughs) 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 it's cheap they don't get to decide what they eat rich in protein it's perfect (laughs) prisons and soldiers (laughs) well i thought you were gonna say that the the real path forward for that is like you you use it as an ingredient for something that's like less horrible. Like you grind it, it you grind it, and you like mix it into peanut butter or something, and like people don't right. really know that they're eating or, or, crickets or whatever. Or you add you add sugar and turn it into a protein powder or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You like make a shake out of it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. In theory, I guess you could do that, but oh, this was a couple of years ago. But that's that's just the thing I remember. He says, "Well, we have some contracts. We're talking to Singapore, I think, about giving it to their soldiers." <laughs> You know, and we think we think prisoners that would be that would also make sense. <laughs> Jesus Christ! So lots of lots of opportunities out there in uh, invertebrate food. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, there's one more just because we love Joshua Sheet so much. He, um, I know, I was I was just thinking about him at just that moment, thinking like, there's got to be a Joshua Sheets reference in here somewhere. So yeah, please no, tell me. Yeah, this is it. He was talking to someone about why the guy's parents are about to retire and he's helping them, he's giving them some basically fine advice. And this is the thing about sheets is he gives people perfectly sound advice, but in the most psychotic way possible. That's, that's my final conclusion about him. I haven't thought about him so much. That's the, that's my problem with him. The advice is so good and it's very smart and he knows a lot, but he finds the weirdest and most deranged way to give it. So he's, in, when he was talking about the guys, this guy's parents were in their sixties. They were getting ready to retire. And he said, your parents need to stay active. They need to have hobbies. He says, maybe your wife likes helping people. She can volunteer at a homeless shelter. I was like, okay, sure, that's fine. He says, maybe your father likes catching raccoons. And he can just spend a few hours a week catching raccoons and then driving them out to the forest to release them safely. <laughs> that was oh my God. Those were the two suggestions. Were volunteer at a homeless <laughs> shelter and catch raccoons. What? Those, those were- what? what? Why would that even occur to anybody as like something that you should do? Go around and catch raccoons. I don't know. Okay, so that leads me to kind of another thing that could probably be a cold open on its own. But uh, my my dad, he has friends who are into like these kind of weird hobbies, and one one of them is there's people who catch feral cats in like a different shittier part of our county. And what they do is they relocate them to the homes of rich people who like my dad and his friends who like having them around because they stalk around the property and like eat rats and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's currently on his 
third pair of feral cats that have been relocated to his house. There have been two unsuccessful attempts because you have to train them to want to like live around your home. Oh, and if you leave out food and yeah, yeah, you leave out food and they have to live in a cage for a while and and it doesn't even really work every time or most of the time because the first pair, as soon as he let them out of the cage from the garage, they just bolted and they were gone forever. That was it. <laughs> Your dad should have the gone into catching pair, raccoons instead. I know. The second pair, one of them bolted and was gone forever. And the other one hung around for like a few months and then was gone. And then okay. and then this pair, they have stuck around. And they, they just like stalk around their house and they kill rats. And they like leave the rats, like headless rats with like guts spilling out and shit all over their front door porch like area or like in the garage yeah yeah as like a gift so like part of their life now is like cleaning up like eviscerated rats yeah i don't know it just seems like it might be easier to just leave out rat poison (laughs) (laughs) there was it when i lived in new york i had a i had a rat i had not a rat problem but a mouse problem because there was construction on a building that had been um it had been closed down for years and they just started to do construction. So all of it was the building adjacent to mine. So all the rats were fleeing that building and all the mice, mice, not rats, thankfully. And one time uh, the, the owner left out a sticky trap and I came Mm -hmm. home and there were three mice in it. Oh, those are so gross. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's like, you kind of, and it's, it's poison, but they're still alive for a few hours before the poison kills them. So that way, that way they don't go die in your wall or behind the fridge or something and then stink up your place. Uh, but it's one time one of them got, uh, he ate the poison and then he was only half on the sticky trap. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think he's going anywhere. Came back. He was gone. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. My dad used to trap things with those and then i don't know if they were poisoned actually and he would get like a bucket and like and like he mounted this sticky trap to like a board and he would just like put this sticky trap in the bucket of water and uh, <laughs> that's how he finally dispatched the things that he caught that's crazy one time we we, we had a pool okay, growing we, up we should probably like five no, years ago dude i'm having fun i'm having fun we had a pool growing up and we had one of those things filled with chlorine a chlorine container that would float around inside of it uh-huh and i would say maybe i don't know once every six months there would be a mouse or a rat that would just be floating in our pool that just fell in and died and drowned yeah and this one amazing mouse somehow climbed on top of the floating chlorine <laughs> thing, which was it would be the equivalent of you like jumping on top of a ten foot wall. Like I don't know how he did it. It was, it was insane. He just somehow managed it, and he was like barely alive, soaking wet, but still breathing, like clinging to the thing. It's yeah, just, yeah, like Titanic. It, yeah. So and then he we we took him off and we threw him down, and he was lying down on the concrete like barely breathing just like kind of relaxing he clearly struggled to get up there and i just came up with my bb gun and shot it this is market liberation front burton born henry hazlitt i think we teased this last week didn't we that we would talk about homesteading we did all right yes so 
Oh, 10 days ago. Hope you guys enjoyed that early edition of Market Liberation Front. It's not a new thing. That was just a... Completely a unrelated to any mistakes made by me. That was completely <laughs> was on purpose. I like it when people make up uh, errors with technology. Like when they don't email you back and they're just like, oh man, sorry, must have had a problem with the email. <laughs> what the fuck? You know, do people ever give excuses to you like that? No, like, I don't work very, with anyone who would uh, ever try that because they know it. Everyone I work with is too smart for some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. No, the thing is, I in my current job that's never happened. But when I used to work at shittier places, or when I had a like when I had a dumb office job, you know, a ten bucks an hour during college, a make work job on campus, that was absolutely a thing. <laughs> oh, uh, must have been a glitch with the email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a glitch. Was like a, would... My roommate, my roommate in college, um, I'm like pretty technically savvy, and he had learned about this thing where you can intentionally corrupt a word document so that it like looks fine, but if someone yeah. opens it, it doesn't open. So he had not finished a paper on time, and by that I mean he hadn't even started it by the due date. So he was like, "Hey, can you help me with this trick?" And I will email this to my professor. And in the like two or three days, I know it'll take her to actually open it and read it. I'll actually write the paper and send it to her. <laughs> I was like, sure, why not? It's pretty yeah, easy. Yeah, right, that's fine. <laughs> I, some some kid at summer camp did that, where at you know summer school, where he had he had he 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 was even dumber. He had written like four paragraphs of a ten-page essay and clearly couldn't finish it on time. By the way, I think he ended up going to Harvard. Uh, this was when we were 16 or something. And so... Oh, something about Harvard. Yeah, because... Uh, yeah, those, all Ivy Leagues are garbage, I agree. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, he deleted the file and then he emptied his trash can and was like, I don't know what happened, man. My computer got fucked up. And, someone, <laughs> and then the guy who was fairly tech savvy recovered it. Because you know, there are ways to recover it once it's been in the recycle bin or whatever. And they managed to recover it. And they said, George, this isn't a complete essay. This is four paragraphs. You lied to us. <laughs> oh, well, you know. When somebody lose some. <laughs> I don't know what happened, man. Yeah. But let's say, uh, let's say you're tired of the vagaries of digital culture. And you long for days on the farm. Uh, like, no, this is like, the... our, like our ancestors used to live. A bucolic, uh, simple life in the country living off the land, feeling a close connection to nature, that kind of thing. You know, bucolic is one of those words that until, I don't know, two or three years ago, I thought it was a really negative thing. When people said, I lived a bucolic lifestyle, I just imagined they had gangrene or something. It just sounds sounds like some disgusting, horrible thing in nature that will kill you. But no, supposedly it's a positive adjective, I didn't know. No, but what we want to talk about is homesteading. Um, it's and it's because it's pretty popular with the financial independence people. A lot of them, their goal is to retire and then buy a farm or buy a house on a lake where they can fish and grow vegetables and keep chickens and and they, and pretend that they're self-sustaining and that they're not relying on society. More on that later. But the, here's I got this uh, this blog post and it's pretty dumb. Uh, it's from Mother Earth News, which more or less tells you everything you need to know about it. 
And this is a unsigned editorial. It's the voice of Mother Earth News, and it's called Why We Homestead. The editorial board of Mother Earth News. But, okay, so here they say, what does it mean to be a homesteader? Homesteader, modern homesteaders to us, are folks who choose to focus significant portions of their time and energy on the things that matter most in life. Uh, Family, friends, religion? No, it's self-reliance, homegrown and nutritious food, secure shelter, and as much freedom as possible from financial worry and leisure time. So historically, it's been a rural enterprise, but it's not exclusively in the country. Uh, can you live in an urban environment and call yourself a homesteader? You bet. I don't believe that. Um, and uh, and then they go on to say, you know, uh, because of our uh, back to the land is a different experience. You have all these different tools, and you can have a big garden. And so the basic idea is, like I said, it's people who want to garden more. And want to feel like they have some some connection to the, the basics of life, you know, their shelter and their food. So and, uh, I, I think I understand this. I think I understand this. What what you want to do is you want to save enough money so that you can become a subsistence farmer, but like a modern one that has solar panels and heating, Netflix, and, and Netflix and and like a lawnmower with like a gasoline engine. Is, do I have it about right? Yeah, I think so. Which is which is why I don't understand the connection to the Phi movement, because anyone could do this right now, right? <laughs> you you if you really wanted to, you could move out to the desert or you know move out to Big Bear or something, get a much you know get a house with a big backyard, and you could keep doing your work remotely and just spend two hours every morning checking for chicken eggs and growing food. So I don't quite understand why people need it in the fire movement. I think there's got to be some psychological overlap between people who want financial separation from their lives and who want physical separation from society. I think it's kind of the same motivation, right? Mm, yeah, that's true. Because I guess that for them, it's they think this is the this is how I will find meaning once I don't have to be a computer programmer anymore, <laughs> right? Because okay. most people, I'm different from. I mean, I, I as much as I shit on it, like that is my. I'm not fixed on it, but that's sort of what I'm moving toward. You know, every month is getting closer and closer to that. But whether I will actually leave my job, I'm not really sure because <laughs> I want to be doing, base. You know, I'll do some things differently. But I, if I had two million dollars. If someone just gave that to me tomorrow, I don't think I would quit my job. You know, I don't think I would quit my years. job either. No. Yeah, at least not for a few years. And whereas most fire people just hate their lives and want to do something else. And I guess they find they, they they hope that they can find meaning in, you know, weeding and watering their spinach plants. And like and like grabbing chickens. Right. <laughs> catching chickens. Right. Catching raccoons. Yeah, yeah, catching raccoons, exactly. So that said, I'm not opposed to it. At some point in my life, when I don't have to live in big cities, for example, if I lived in uh, my parents' house, I would definitely have a garden there because I like food. And I think it would be kind of satisfying to compost and make my own fertilizer and watch the food grow. It does. It, it gives you a satisfying feeling. My only experience, of course, is growing a weed plant about seven years ago. <laughs> watching that. Did I ever tell you the story of how I grew a weed? That this really my... made you feel connected to the world? Yeah. yeah, this is my only homesteading story. This is a pretty good one. <laughs> this is the only real experience I've had as a homesteader. Was I bought a sack of weed, and there were three uh, there were three seeds in it. It was not the best weed, right? 
And so me and the boys, we, we went up to some urban homesteader, had a garden on the roof of our apartment building. And we, we took a, a, a gallon jug, water jug, those plastic ones, and we cut it and we cut the top 20% off, maybe the top 30% off. And we filled it about halfway with dirt. And then we took the, the weed, uh, we put it in a damp towel in a dark place, came back a week later. Of the three, two of them sprouted and we buried the two of them. And of the, those two, one of them actually grew into a plant that went upright. Nice. Yeah, and the plant, it grew, I don't know, it was about a foot tall. It had a few different branches on it. Nothing too serious. And then uh, one day we cut it. You know, and it, it became apparent that it wasn't gonna. It wasn't the kind that that you would actually get good weed from. Like there were there weren't buds. It was just leaves after about a month. Oh, it didn't. It didn't flower. Yeah, it didn't flower. So I was just like, I don't know. There's probably still some THC in this. So we dried <laughs> out the plant. We cut it up and we dried it out for a week or something, and then rolled it up into three gigantic joints and got slightly high for ten minutes. <laughs> that was it what yeah, a disappointment <laughs> yeah but it was kind of it was i will say though it was very satisfying to watch the plant grow and get bigger you know and not just buying a plant that's already you know in soil from home depot or whatever but making something out of nothing i, I got some satisfaction out of that yeah so i've always thought I, it'd be cool i agree i mean i've my wife has gotten really into house plants and i have also seen the satisfaction of of starting from just a seed and and getting all the way to a plant. I, so I I definitely understand the motivation to want to do gardening. I don't know why you need gardening to be your like life orientation right. philosophy, other than just like either a hobby or a job. But right. See, I I eat a salad every day. Uh, gardening. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know. I have a I have a spin. I like my salad usually it's spinach. I have a pepper, uh, carrot, broccoli. A little bit of onion, maybe some other random vegetable that I find, and then uh, a little bit of cheese and some kind of sauce. Sometimes I make the sauce myself. It's absolutely delicious, and it—it's kind of just—I I don't really love it, but it makes me. I, ever since I started doing this a few months ago, I, I realized, wow, I have more energy and I just feel better. So I just have a salad every day, and I think it would be cool to just pull that out of my garden every day because those are not very hard things to grow. You know, okay, and that so would be satisfying. You're a homesteader. That's, that's right. Well, I'm no, I'm not. But but here's the thing. I was curious. I think one of the connections is people always say that it's much cheaper, right? But for me, I think you know that salad that I just described. I don't know. It costs three dollars to make, and I live in the middle of the city where food's a little more expensive, and I can't buy in bulk because it's just me. It's probably two, three bucks for each one. Maybe a little more. Maybe a little less. I don't know. Uh, and so I, I came across this blog post where this, uh, what's this lady's name? Kayla Lobermeyer. Uh, it's called Under a Tin Roof. Yeah, that sounds like, that's how I want to live once I'm retired <laughs> under a tin roof. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, she breaks down how much it costs to homestead on less than an acre of land. So essentially if you're in a, uh, you know, about, if you're, if you have a backyard, it's about the size of a football field. You know, so you're kind of an exurb person. And uh, right. did you read this post already? Yeah, I did. I read okay. It. I, all right. I skimmed it. So she, yeah, she just, she is one of these people. She's a homesteader. I don't know about her status of financial independence. 
her bio says that she's a freelance writer, embroidery artist, and master gardener. So either rich husband or inheritance or uh, person, or she used to be a programmer and now she's. <laughs> and now this is what she does. So, yeah, so she just walks through the, the general uh, finances of her little plot of land that you described. So, first she describes that it was like, oh. <laughs> The realtor took a shot of their property with the drone. So just that statement alone, we'll have more to say about about that uh, in in the next article. Like, well, okay, that's neat that you had that. Um, so she said that it was hard at first. There was a lot of initial costs, um, but once you make it over the hump, you uh, you have a potential to make some money or at least pay for your homestead journey every year. Uh, if you want to do it so for a hobby, that's fine too. Yeah, so to basically, your best hope is to break even. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what she's saying. It's not, yeah. it's not something you do because you want to make money. Right. So she says to to set everything up, and let's see. So she had the house, two-car garage, and an art studio. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. Uh, there's a garden for the kitchen. Herbs, vegetables, flowers, 1,300 square feet. Uh, a greenhouse. The three-season, it's not heated. I guess you wouldn't really need a, a heated greenhouse in California. A chicken enclosure, another art studio, or I guess she listed it twice. Berry bushes, a fire pit, apple trees, and a compost pile. Man, I gotta Everything tell you, that though, you could need. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I am very. Uh, I find that very appealing. Just replace art studio with writing room, and that would be my ideal setup for a suburban lifestyle. Look at you. You're just I didn't realize you were such a homesteader. I feel like this this yeah. really is what you want to do. You're you're actually one yeah. of these people that I make fun of. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> not but the thing is, I wouldn't identify as a homesteader. I'd be like, yeah, I have a garden. I don't know. I like it. I go there. It's a place where I go to do things. You know, cuz in living in cities, a lot okay. of my free time, I just go for long walks by myself and listen to podcasts. And it's like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I could instead of doing that, just go into my garden. And listen to podcasts. That's really what my life is. is <laughs> listen about, to my free time yeah, is finding ways to listen to podcasts. So Dude, I, that's garden. funny you say that because I uh, yesterday I had the idea to bake uh, as a gift for my mom for her birthday. I decided to bake her cupcakes. But so like I you know I went shopping. I they like made the batter. I did all the stuff. But I got to listen to like three hours of podcasts. And it was really fun. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, when you have that just long... I'm on vacation now, and I, yesterday I just laid down in bed, and I listened to podcast and played Civ Six for like four hours. It was glorious, <laughs> man. Uh, so... <laughs> here's, All right, so here. this is getting a little sluggish here. we got to get into the real the real shit about how much it costs yeah, yeah, to be a okay, homesteader. So, so for All the right. garden... Gosh, there's a lot of expenses, but it's a lot of like upfront stuff. You pay, you know, fifteen hundred dollars for your greenhouse and uh, twelve hundred twenty dollars a day to rent your sod cutter and garden tools, and they borrow from their neighbors, but they bought a new pitchfork and blah blah blah. 
So Clothing. total for <laughs> chicken wire fencing. I didn't know you could buy berry bushes. You can buy a whole bush for eight dollars. That, That's pretty good. Not be very big. Yeah, but still, yeah, because I mean, where I live, a tray of, I don't know, two hundred grams of uh, blueberries, it's like four dollars. Yeah, same. So if eight dollars, that's actually, I feel like some of this stuff is a better deal for you than other stuff, right? Forty dollars for an apple tree, if you if you have that year after year, that does pay for itself pretty well. But I bet the sure. apples aren't as good as the kind you would get at the store. They're not the the honey crisps. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, there All used right. to be hundreds of kinds of apples. It used to be when you you didn't really quite know what you were gonna get when you got an apple. And then <laughs> the market kind of just decided that people like Honey Crisp and Granny Smith and stuff, which I didn't know. Well, marketing, dude. So yeah. then, uh, so that's the garden. And she goes through the chickens. There's like a bunch of different shit that you need. You need it's wait, two dollars per hold chick. Up. You're going too fast. So to have a garden that she says feeds four to twelve people for a year, thirteen hundred square feet. Apple trees, seeds, everything, thirty five hundred dollars up front, and then six hundred thirty per year. Hmm. I, I think that probably does save you money. If your fruit and a ton of your vegetables are covered for a year, I don't know. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I, well, the upfront is kind of high. Yeah. So I, I mean, wonder. This is, this is like a rent versus buy thing, where like if you. I wonder if you do the analysis how long it takes to pay for itself. Right, right, you're right. Because I think if it's your forever, the only way I would homestead anywhere, if the only way I would homestead in a serious way is if it was my forever house. If I was like, okay, this is where I will raise my children, and this is probably where I'll retire to, you know, or, or I'll live until I retire, then it makes sense. Over 25 years, that's eh, probably a pretty good deal. You can teach, and that'd be a good thing. You could teach your idiot kids how to garden. <laughs> So they, so they, teach, you know, they earn some teach money. Teach them a useful skill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to prepare them for the twenty first century. No, if you have like a five year old and he knows how to garden, it's great. You don't have to do it, and then there's a justification for giving them an allowance every month or whatever. Yeah, you can pay them to work for you. Okay, but here's the part that that really triggered you was the chickens, right? The chickens. Oh my god. Yeah. So just as a little bit of background about the chickens, I in general do not like animals like i just don't i just don't really like being near animals i don't really like touching them i don't huh. like really pets i didn't at know all. that your parents had cats right but only after i was an adult did they get them oh really i didn't know that yeah not as a kid maybe if they had had them as a kid i would have grown up differently but i just really just do not do not enjoy the presence of animals and it's actually really awkward because in in our culture in america like love of dogs is kind of assumed and like expected from people and it's it's pretty awkward because most of the time like people's dogs will like run up and lick me and shit and i'll be like this is fucking gross like this animal (laughs) is licking me like i do not like this i'm not into this at all but but it's like weird to be like, ew, like get your nasty looking animal away from me. Like you can't do that. So you kind of have to just stand there and take it. Because people are like, you know oh, ha, it's so funny. It's licking you. So, I mean, if that's how I feel about dogs, like imagine, like why would you ever want to touch a chicken? Like look at them, man. That is, yeah. Ugh. 
Man, you should vote for Trump. He's the only president who hasn't had a dog in the White House in a hundred really? years or some shit like that. Yeah. Every, everyone <laughs> pretends that they like their dog when they become president. Like Obama got a dog because he was president and he felt he had to, but he clearly and you know, and like they're all the propaganda photos on Twitter where it's like really? Obama hugging his dog and it's Trump <laughs> awkwardly petting a dog and they're like, Who's a real human? It's like, <laughs> That's a pet peeve of mine is when people share Obama propaganda photos next to like a photo of Trump with a double chin looking scowling at uh, scowling at someone and they're like, I miss my president. It's like, dude, there are great arguments to not like Trump and to prefer Obama, but the propaganda photos probably aren't the best. But that's the kind of shit you see on Reddit. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry, I'm more sorry. of like the awkwardly petting, like yeah. ugh, like uncomfortable. Yeah. So. That my my pet peeve about, about dogs is like when you're in a the thing is like when you're in a public space for the reason that like Americans are obsessively into their dogs um, it's like completely acceptable for dogs to violate your personal space and if you're like having a picnic somewhere like say in like a park or at the beach like people's dogs will like run over your like picnic blanket or like run up to you and try and steal your food or like spray sand all over you or even one time I was lying down and one ran up and stood on me and oh, shit. the thing about that is like that is completely it's like what you get is you get the dog apology where the owner mm-hmm. says it's like the least sincere apology in the world the owner says sorry and you're supposed to go haha it's okay your dog's so funny but every time I'm like oh I just glare at them yeah I guess the only so. thing uh the only thing that would make sense uh, is if you're trying to attract women. A married friend of mine got a couple puppies in New York, and he said it's pretty much the only time in his life he's gotten obvious interest from women just walking <laughs> around on the street. <laughs> Where they just come up. Because most really people funny. are not like you. And they're just like, can I pay your dog? And, like, oh. and then like they start talking about him, and he's like, oh, this is not, I can't be doing this <laughs> This is not what I. This wasn't what I was looking for. (laughs) Yeah, and dogs. Pets are so calm. I would actually. I would. I kind of like. I don't like stranger dogs, but if I know a dog, I like them. I like hanging out with them. I'm not going to let them sleep in my bed or lick my face, but I like a. I like a nice dog. But this this person says that. uh, So I was just start by breaking down the costs. How much does it cost to have six chickens in your backyard? Right. So it's $2 per chicken when you buy them as a chick, which is, that's pretty good. Um, not bad, $2 a chick. A brood... You have to own something called a brood tub. Yeah, which I don't know what that means exactly. I guess it's like where they grow up inside of. Yeah, I you think when brood... they're chicks, you let them run around in a little box. Right, okay. Oh, so they bought a large horse feeding trough. And then used it to grow cherry tomatoes afterward. Okay, great. A heat lamp, a chick feeder, a chick waterer, a coop and a t- and a run is two hundred bucks. A hen feeder, a hen waterer, a water heater, a supplemental feeder. And they spend two hundred forty a year on chicken feed, and then treats. They spend two hundred twenty eight a year, and then bedding is uh, about five dollars a month. So it's if all you, feeders to, and heaters and waterers. Yeah, yeah everything rhymes, which is kind of cool, I guess, if you are a rapper. Uh, and it's $984 if you have absolutely nothing to keep six chickens for a year. And then afterward, it's about $528. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, okay. 
this is the part I did like, and and with the background of how I feel about animals, you'll yeah, probably yeah, yeah. okay, okay, not be surprised. So, uh, she admits now this sounds like a lot of money for some chickens, but uh, you're not guaranteed, and especially when you're not guaranteed six eggs a day. We definitely don't keep them for egg production. We keep them as pets and never expect them to lay eggs to, quote, pay us back. <laughs> I read this awful blog post the other day where the author said they, quote, don't allow any freeloaders and will kill a chicken that does not produce for them up to their standards. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess, I mean, my dad grew up with chickens and they used the eggs and then... The kids use them as pets, and they ate them. They, you can do all three. <laughs> <laughs> Was that awkward for the, the kids when they're pets? Or are you just like, oh, I, I don't know where that one went, but we're having chicken tonight. <laughs> I don't know, man. See, the thing is, I will say, one thing I've been homesteading is that I guess I'm just such a country boy. You know, I used to own a gun. I was never a hunter. I've never killed and eat. I've never killed the thing that I ate, except I guess I went fishing when I was in Boy Scouts. Uh, and then I, we ate that. But I don't want to cut open a chicken and rip its guts out and pluck its feathers apart <laughs> and then eat it. It just sounds disgusting. You know? And I, I'm happy to know where it, it came from. But I hate it when people are like, how can you eat it if you don't know where it came from? Like, I understand the process. I've seen the videos of how chicken factory farming works. I don't care. I just want the chicken in my mouth. You know? I want it in my belly. So I would, if I got chickens, it would only be for eggs. Okay, so let's say let's say so they, they, they estimate that their chickens produce two dozen eggs a week. Uh, and that you know, right. the expensive free range organic ones are five dollars a dozen. So that's five hundred twenty dollars for the eggs and it's five hundred twenty eight. That's five hundred twenty dollars worth of eggs and five twenty eight for the upkeep. I don't so know if I would have basically chickens. the basically the Upfront cost is sunk, and after that, you're breaking. So, really, you're paying $1,000 to own chickens. Yeah. Well, I guess if and you subtract like, the annual, no, you're paying, eggs. you're paying like 400 I guess. Or four, you know, because it's about a, th- or you're paying about 500 right? How long it's, is a chicken's lifetime? That's a, I think, I think they can live pretty long. I Googled this after I read the article the first time. Get, all right, here, here, we'll do a round robin. Bert, how long does a chicken live? Give me a range. The average chicken may live for five to ten years. Oh, you're supposed to guess. Oh. <laughs> well, the oldest known chicken was a hen that died of heart failure at the age of 16. Oh, okay. There you go. Sorry, uh, I didn't catch up to that uh, broadcasting meme that you were saying. <laughs> okay, my, my apologies. Uh, all right, so yeah, I don't think I would have the chickens because it just seems, you know, uh, with the vegetables and the fruits, you do actually save money. It's not a lot, and it's kind of low-impact work. You know, you maybe you spend a day setting up the, the garden, and then you just water it and do shit with the soil. I don't know a lot about gardening. I guess I'd have to learn. But it's not that much work. Whereas uh, the chickens, you got to feed them every day. You know, you have to take your kid to the hospital, and they attack him. <laughs> when they like peck its toes or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there you go and that's the cost of homesteading 
But there's so much more writing in this. It's like, yeah, it's. it's I think that that's the reason this episode has been so sluggish is these fucking homesteaders don't get to this point. <laughs> they're just, you know, they're, if they're a long day of feeding chickens and, I don't know, picking vegetables in their garden, they have all this free time to write 12,000 word blog posts about how to homestead. <laughs> so, I don't know, but... Oh my god. I, I, do, I do like this uh, takedown of homesteaders, though, in Forbes... Yeah, this is the this so, is the real this is the juice. This is like the real fire and yeah, about the, the homesteaders. So yeah, we've had their like eyes. sleepy self self justifications for like why it's such a great way to live and how it's not exactly economic, but you know if you're willing to to break even, it's pretty fun. Now here's here's like this uh, evil like city slicker who's uh, going to. Yeah, he's he's an economist at Moody's Analytics, and he covers yeah, labor markets and other aspects of the U.S. economy. Not a homesteader. He's a homesteader hater. Yeah, but he says he does like watching shows like Doomsday Preppers or whatever. But he hate watches them. Yeah, I guess so. So uh, he says the people in these shows often describe a very romantic vision of the lives they have chosen. Uh, the ethos underlying it. They describe themselves as fully self-reliant and criticize society for being dependent and lacking in self-reliance. It's morally superior, the story goes, to provide for yourself, take care of your own needs, and often be prepared to survive if society collapses. I think this is actually a good point on the appeal of homesteading that we didn't really hit earlier. A big part of financial independence is just thinking that you're better than other people. That's sort of the central conceit (laughs) of Mr. Money Mustache, right? Is that I'm yes, better than uh, other we've, people? We've definitely explored that topic a lot, and I think also Joshua Sheets, yeah, and exactly. Jacob Lundfisker, all of them. Actually, yeah. that's really true. It's all about how like you're like smarter and better than other people for doing the things that you do. Yeah, right. And uh, on this show, we certainly think people are idiots and we're smarter than a lot of people. But I hope that the central theme of this is you have a few basic things that you should do or that would be wise to do but there's no real fixed rule you know it's more just what are your goals in life and how do you achieve them you know not what your goals should be and i think that's the difference is they want to define or they want to reset the expectations for what people's life goals ought to be where instead of just saying well you know you kind of have to decide what you want and then pursue it in a smart way which is i guess Mm -hmm. what we hope to do but anyway um where, where's the money in this Forbes article? Here it comes. Uh, a stated or assumed claim is that specialization and gains from trade are a failing rather than an integral part of prosperity. It's true that these individuals don't appear to value many goods and services beyond relatively basic subsistence, but most off-the-grid households do benefit to some extent, from the cheap second-hand tools, guns, clothes, or inputs to basic home production that specialization, gains from trade, and modern economy have made easily affordable. Boom. Zing. So yeah, basically he's saying that you, yeah, sure, like your homesteading life, like I'm sure you enjoy it and I'm sure you feel self-reliant, but the only reason that you can have the standard of living that you do while living out in the middle of nowhere is that you're like living off of the 
it's like because of the rest of the normal economy enables you to do that. Like if everyone right. lived the way that you did, no one could live the way that you do now because people wouldn't have like really high quality, nice tools, clothes, guns, uh, gardening implements, like seeds, like none of that stuff would exist. It would look like 19th century America, actually, because that's what it was back then. (laughs) And this is a, you know, this is a variation of the, if everyone, if everyone did fire, the the world would be better because we would consume less. And it's like, where where do you think, how do you think those 7% stark market gains come about? Is it because people are just all misers living at home doing nothing? (laughs) Isn't that how Germany's economy works so well? (laughs) It's like, fundamentally uh the it's a they they have the goal of forcing as many people as possible through psychological manipulation to live their (laughs) stupid lifestyle of you know of eating rice and beans and uh you know duct taping your shoes together because that's the smart thing to do when in reality if everyone did that you know our economy would look like i don't know fucking kazakhstan (laughs) right you know it would just look like i mean because i will say the, the most frugal people are not the fire people. It's people who are broke as shit in you yeah. know, Bulgaria. It's like in, people who have Nigeria. to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah like, or Mexico that, or whatever, you know, like yeah, yeah, some place yeah. where your economy actually does suck and like you actually don't have anything. You're not just choosing to have nothing like because you like it. Yeah, yeah, except, except the difference, of course, is that you're choosing to have nothing because you like it, except you can have the few things that you do like, you know, like a Netflix <laughs> right. subscription. Right. Yeah. So, so not only are the material benefits of modern society available to these people when they wouldn't be if uh, everyone lived like them, uh, less uh, like services, modern services are also (laughs) are also available. So, so for example, there's a show called Live Free or Die, and there's a guy in his mid sixties named Colbert who lives in a swamp in Georgia by himself. He does some trapping and trades the furs for money that he uses to buy supplies. So on the scale of self-reliance, this ranks pretty highly. But I always wonder what will happen to him if he slips and falls and can no longer provide for himself. He'll likely end up receiving hospital treatment paid for with Medicare and probably end up in an assisted living center also paid for by Medicare. So the point here is that, like, again modern society provides a clear safety net for these people where if they hurt themselves or get sick or something, modern medicine and also modern uh, social programs are here to help them get better. Whereas if we all lived the way that they do, no one would be able to afford to pay for modern medicine or for a social safety net and they wouldn't exist. Right, right. So that's completely fair, and my, the, I like it when he takes it beyond just healthcare to things like the rule of law, right? <laughs> many right. many off the grid folks like to fantasize that their personal firearms collection and self defense skills are actually why they are safe. But how far would this take them in a society without the rule of law, an effective government, and law enforcement? The homesteader who is confident in their security is in their own hands should go live off the grid in Syria and find out how far self-protection <laughs> takes them. <laughs> oh my God, that's so good. I know, because they, they all have this like this cool like doomsday fantasy where they're like, society is going to collapse, the government's going away. I've got a million rounds of ammo in the bunker. We're going to be fine. Like, that's what they think. But, but of course, like... 
yeah, if you lived in Syria where there's like literal like a war going on between armed groups of people, I don't think one guy in one house with a million rounds of ammo is going to be able to hold up against that. Yeah, exactly. And if you really believe that, your house would be surrounded by by landmines, right? <laughs> and it would be camouflage <laughs> to protect you. I mean, let's say that the airplane, you know, air, airplanes go away and you're not going to get bombed. Like, you'd be surrounded by sandbags and trenches and landmines. You'd have machine or, gun nests and you'd have people people watching for you. And the thing is, maybe that's what they would do if things really did collapse, but that's an awful life to live. Just being stuck in some <laughs> complex, you know, and just occasionally having skirmishes where you're wounded. <laughs> you know, it doesn't like, matter how like, t- it doesn't matter how we're like it's all you like your extended family like living in a compound like the fucking like those those crazy people in Waco. Yeah, right, right. How did right. self-protection work out for them? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, you know, uh, some, you know, bored Muslim teenager in Belgium went to Syria and joined Islamic State and he probably killed like a special forces soldier. You know, it's just that's how combat works. It's not like if you're good or not. Sometimes it's just stupid luck. <laughs> yeah. But I guess this makes them feel better. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah. And then even even beyond like the explicit guarantee of safety from the rule of law and the police and the military, there's also the mere fact that in the developed world, like life is pretty good for most people. So there's a lot lower of an incentive to break uh, society's rules and murder and steal and uh, rob people. Right. You don't have to have someone sitting in your backyard watching your garden from bandits every night. Right. <laughs> right. And, or like have really tall fences and gates to wall yourself off from like the, the people outside. I love this article. This is like this is how I see it. But yeah. maybe it's because I I would also maybe in another life have been a macon- an economist at Moody's Analytics. <laughs> <laughs> and where you would cover labor markets and other aspects of the US economy. Uh, I like the I like the conclusion though, and I guess maybe that's where we can leave this episode. Uh, he says, self-reliance is for the most part a myth. Unless they live in an extremely remote li- region, use all homemade tools, and will refuse the safety net if they need it, most homesteaders are far from self-reliant. To the few homesteaders who have, a true, who have achieved true self-reliance, I congratulate them. Seems like a hard life, but to each his own. But most homesteaders and off-the-grid types benefit from cheap, good, cheap goods and services, access to modern health care, safety, and the rule of law. Living off the grid is a fine lifestyle choice, but instead of an air of superiority, homesteaders should be appreciative of the benefits received from living in a modern society. Boom! Yeah, and as someone, as someone who doesn't work in the hard sciences or really contribute, but who invests in a lot of modern companies, you're welcome, homesteaders. <laughs> I have an air of superiority over you. Yes, I am superior to these, like, these like self-imposed miserly like <laughs> off the grid people because i participate in the society that enables their lifestyle not the other way around all right well there you go uh market liberation front at gmail.com rate the show leave us a note and uh if you want to come on the show as a guest or if you have questions for us that'd be great we want to start doing more listener q a's so go ahead and Go ahead and uh, punch the uh, punch the uh, email button. What is what is smash the subscribe button? Is what people say. Right? <laughs> smash the subscribe button, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, no.